a story of um, the guys who thought their pastor was preaching far too long. And so they thought this is the way to stop him preaching so long. Uh, They always took offering in this particular church after the sermon. So the guy went and he sat on the front seat and he took out his wallet and he put down a $100 note, $50 note, $20 note, $10 note. And after 10 minutes, put away the $100 note. Next 10 minutes, 50, and, and the longer the preacher preached, the smaller his offering would be. Terrible story. That's why we take the offering first. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are our all in all. Lord God, thank you so much that you are the one who journeys with us through life. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can look back and and see all the wonders of, of what you have done for us and what you are doing with us and through us and in us. Holy Spirit, I just pray now that you would fill my mouth with your words. Lord Jesus, that we might all take in something and be strengthened in our faith this morning. Lord, that we might have open hearts and minds and ears, that we might be receptive to your word. Amen. It's actually interesting that, um, that Pam, you were talking about the journey that we're on with God, because this morning as we're back in Acts, we're again in journey mode. Remember, this is now the third missionary journey, if we can call it that, that Paul has made out of his base, his home church at Antioch. We left him um, two weeks ago uh, in Ephesus. And this morning, chapter 20, verse 1, remember in Ephesus there had been this big uproar and um, the crowd had gone wild and they, they wanted to do all sorts of bad things, but, but miraculously almost, the governor intervened and nothing went wrong. But here we go, verse 20, Paul's waited, it's, it's settled down a bit, the situation's not quite as volatile as it was, and he says to his people there, right, I need to be on my way. God's got plans for me. Already at this stage, Paul knows that he wants to go to Rome and use Rome as as a new starting point for mission to Europe. His plan, remember, is to go to Rome and from Rome to go out to Spain and to really start afresh in fields that haven't been touched by the gospel yet. But before he goes on to to do new mission work and, and open new grounds, the first thing he wants to do is to encourage the believers. Look at verse 1, what he says there in chapter 20. uh, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. This morning, really, that encouragement of Paul is what I want to focus on. What Paul does on this journey, verses 1 and 2, is to encourage the Christian churches. You see it again in verse 2. He traveled through that area, spoke many words of encouragement to the people. Just for your information, the word encouragement there is from the same word that 
that the Holy Spirit is in Greek. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is the encourager. And Paul here, filled with the Spirit, is encouraging the churches. Let me just fill you in. Verse 1 and 2, short verses, but probably covers between 12 months and 18 months worth of journeying. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I think, Paul tells us a little bit more about this journey that is going on. He says he left Ephesus and he went to Troas, first off. And Troas was this beautiful place. A door was open, says Paul, for him to preach the gospel to the people in Troas. I don't know what you'd call a Troasian, a Trojan, a Trojan, that's right. But, says Paul in 2 Corinthians, as he was there in Troas, and, and with this great opportunity to tell people about Jesus, his heart was troubled. Because his friend Titus wasn't there to meet him. Because Paul had sent Titus off to, to Corinth, to the Corinthian church, He'd heard that there were trouble in the Corinthian church, and he was hoping for Titus to come and, and tell him how things were going back in Corinth. Remember, Corinth, I think what Paul really felt as his own church, the place where he spent really the longest time. And so he's there in Troas, and Titus doesn't arrive. And so he decides he's got to move on. And he moves on through the Macedonian churches. And, and these words of encouragement that he's speaking. I think what he's doing is, he's saying to the churches, brothers and sisters in Christ, I need you to be strong in the faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to grow deeper in your knowledge of Jesus. Remember, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit points us back to Jesus. What is Paul doing on this journey through all of the churches which he's established? Is exactly that. Brothers and sisters, I want you to, to strengthen one another. I want you to remind one another what God has done for us and what God has done in your very midst. Paul is encouraging the churches because he knows how much temptation there is to fall away. Paul knows how strong the pull of society is. Remember, he's, he's, he's so disturbed by the Corinthian church, which, which he's heard reports that, that things are going so badly there, that, I mean, the sins in Corinth, um, a bloke steep, sleeping with his stepmom, all sorts of sexual immorality in that church. People not eating the Lord's Supper in a good way, just, just gulping it down and, and not leaving any for the poor. Class structures in the church. Things of society that have crept in and, and Paul is going through his churches and saying, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Let me encourage you. And it's actually on this journey, as Paul is going through Macedonia, uh, we read in, in uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, that, that, that Paul catches up with Titus and he hears that, that the letter, we don't have the letter that Paul sent with Titus, we hear that things in Corinth have got better. And so Paul writes 
what we call 2 Corinthians to them on this journey. And it's a letter again of encouragement to the Corinthian Christians, saying to them, we should stand firm in this gospel. Really what Paul is doing on this, on this journey, up from Ephesus through Macedonia, what he's doing is, is growing disciples. Is growing people in their knowledge of Christ. And don't we need that so much? You know, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. I'm firmly of that belief. If we don't take time to, to spend time with other Christians and allow ourselves to be encouraged and, and, and allow ourselves to be, to be built up in our knowledge of Christ, there's going to be trouble in our life. You know, one of the things I love about Paul is, is that during this, this, well, all of his journeys, and this one in particular, Paul is a pyramid scheme man. Hopefully we are pyramid scheme people too. Anyone been involved in a pyramid scheme before? Jay, did you get burnt? Okay, terrible. <laughs> this pyramid scheme you cannot get burnt in. Because what Paul does is, is he goes and he makes disciples. He, he shares the gospel with people. And then he comes back and he grows them. And he grows them not so that they can, that they can say, well, I'm a mature Christian and I know all that there is to know about Christ. The reason Paul is encouraging these Christians is so that they can grow in their knowledge of Christ in order to speak the truth out to others. And you see, the, go the gospel is a pyramid scheme. I share it with you, you share it with a few other people, they share it with a few other people, they share it with a few other people, and all the time we need to be encouraged and say, yes, we, we need to keep on, we need to not give up. Um, we, our family, you were speaking about our families, that we, we sometimes think, well, it's too late, they'll never become Christians, or our friends that we think, oh, well, they've, they've passed the, the, the date where they'll become Christians. But Paul says, no, we, we just encourage one another to keep on trusting that God can do amazing things. And share the gospel. And grow the church. And says Luke there in verse 2, Paul arrives in Greece, probably Corinth, stays there for three months, and a lot has happened in Corinth over that time, and he really wants to just build that church back up again and, and really strengthen and encourage them. We've got this great story of, remember, Corinth was a place where God said to Paul, Paul, don't worry, there are many of my people in this city, and you will be safe. It was a few chapters back God said that. This time Paul gets there, spends three months there, he's safe. He's about to get in a boat to go to Jerusalem, probably to, to share in the, the Passover, and, <laughs> and somehow he learns that the Jews are, are planning to do him evil on the boat. Very easy if you've got a couple of hundred Jews or maybe even ten Jews on a boat to accidentally bump somebody over into the ocean. Get rid of that nuisance, Paul. But Paul hears about it. He says, right, okay, <laughs> this is discouraging. They want to kill me again. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up and I'm going to encourage the churches again. 
And he goes back through Macedonia and he continues encouraging the churches. Until we come in verse 4 to verse 6 to this list of blokes that are going with Paul on this journey. Who are they? Uh, Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea. Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. Gaius from Derbe. Timothy um, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And we we read there in in verse 5 and verse 6, you'll notice that suddenly we start reading about we. Whenever you read we in Acts, it's Luke speaking about his own experiences. So Luke is traveling with with Paul as well on this journey. That's an interesting list of people there. Uh, Our first instinct is just to say, right, he's got some people traveling with him. Paul always never travels alone. When he does travel alone, he's always complaining that he, he wants people with him. That's true, but, but you know, these people traveling with Paul, they represent pretty much every single church that Paul has established in that part of the world. We've, we've got people, and, and really people from Asia, people from... Uh, Greece, North Greece, South Greece. We've got people from from the east of the uh, Aegean coast and from the west of the Aegean coast. And and all of these churches, these these Christians have come together to travel with Paul. And isn't that an encouraging sight, if you think about it? These are, are healthy, healthy churches. So effectively has the gospel taken root that there are leaders of the church who are free to go and mission with Paul and to travel with Paul. And if we we read a bit further on in Acts Acts chapter 24 and and in, um, I think, 2 Corinthians or or Romans, I can't remember which one, we'll also find that these people traveling with Paul aren't just there for the fun of doing mission. They're there to encourage the Jerusalem Christians. See, Paul, on his journey through the province of Macedonia and and Greece and Illyricum, up just north of Macedonia, Paul has been collecting an offering to take to Jerusalem so that the Gentile churches can say to the Jerusalem churches, we are your brothers and sisters And we will support you and we will encourage you in your faith because you have blessed us so much through Jesus Christ. So their encouragement there is is a monetary encouragement, but, but just an encouragement of saying we are a united church. From Greece, from Asia, from Macedonia to Jerusalem, we are one. There are no divides here. We are one group. It's a great picture, that. And Paul spends with, with Luke um, Easter at Philippi, and they, they wander onto a boat, and they arrive at... Do they wander onto a boat? Some of them wander onto a boat. Um, anyway, they arrive in Troas, and they stay there seven days. 
I don't know why they stay there seven days, but Paul waits till the last day that they're there to spend an all-night marathon preaching session. I would have thought they could have put in a few more evenings of preaching. <laughs> would have done a good job. I love the story of Eutychus. Great story. Um, his name actually means lucky. <laughs> you could say he's a pretty lucky bloke. Pretty stupid bloke as well. Eutychus, just for your information, um, is a young lad. Uh, the word that's used for him in verse 12 is, is lad in some translations. It's, it's, it's the word for a person between about 8 and 12, 14 years old. This is a young boy who is just so excited that, that Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, who, who has come and is, is speaking the good news about Jesus, is there, and he wants to be in on the action. And he wants to, to sit there in the church service and he wants to hear what Paul is saying and, and he wants to, you know, it's just that excitement there to be there for the gospel. I'm sure a lot of the other kids had wandered off and playing outside or gone to sleep, but, but Eutychus, no, no, I want to hear what Paul has to say. And can't you just visualize the picture of that upper room? Uh, two stories up. Uh, their way of thinking Ground floor is the first story. Two story, three story, doesn't really matter. Anyway, they're, they're up there, and it's getting late, and they've yet to have supper. They've yet to have the Lord's Supper, which back then, remember, usually went along with, with a meal, not just the elements. And it's getting later, and Paul is just speaking on, and it's good stuff, and he's, he's, he's this and this and Jesus and God and, and the cross and, and it's exciting stuff but, but the, the room is filled with oil lamps and you know that lovely smell of oil lamps and it's getting later and the room is getting <sighs> sure people inside the room are starting to get a little bit tired but you know they're, they're adults they can they can brave it out, but poor old Eutychus, he's in the window, a bit of fresh air coming in, but oh, the atmosphere is so oppressive, <sighs> and it's so late, and he falls asleep, <laughs> and he crashes to the ground, and he's dead. It's not actually a very funny story at all. It's a story of a boy who dies. as a preacher, I take great comfort from the fact that, that people slept during Paul's sermons. That's wonderful. If they can sleep during Paul, they can sleep during anyone. But Paul sees what happens, and he stops, and he runs. Does he run? I don't know. He goes downstairs. People have picked him up dead really is dead. Dr. Luke is there. If, if, if a Dr. Luke says that this boy is dead, the boy is dead. And Paul covers this boy, gives him a hug, and he says, no, no, he's alive. And then he goes back upstairs, they have communion together, and he preaches on until the rest of the night is gone. 
you'd think this is a big moment. A, a child who was dead has been revivified, has been brought back to life, and this is big news. But, but Paul goes upstairs and they have communion and he preaches on for morning. Strange, isn't it? I mean, if I was writing the book of Acts, if I was writing a movie of Acts, I'd make a big deal of this. I'd, I'd have newspaper reports the next morning. Boy dies and is brought back to life. Big things happening. Wow, what a powerful gospel. Wow, what a great thing. But they just carry on. Maybe it'll help if we, if we take a look at this incident with Eutychus just in a bit of biblical context. You know, there are actually only seven times in the Bible um, where people are, are brought back to life directly through the action of someone. Um, two in the Old Testament, three in the Gospels, and two in the book of Acts, two in the New Testament, apart from the Gospels. So we've got, first off, we've got Elijah in about 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah's uh, staying with uh, a widow of, of Zareph, something like that. Like you, I find some of those names difficult to pronounce. Um, and, and this widow's son dies. And Elijah, what he does, he, he lies himself down over the boy, and he prays, and takes a, a big deal, and, and the boy comes back to life. The other one in the Old Testament is in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elijah's um, follow-up man, Elisha. He's there, and uh, it's a great story if you read it, 2 Kings chapter 4, of Elisha and the Shumanite woman, or the Shumanite couple. Um, this rich woman, and, and she's just one of those people with the gift of hospitality. And every time she saw Elisha coming past, she'd invite him in and put on a big meal for him. And eventually they, they, they made a, a special room for him on top of their house, and he could stay there every time he was in the neighborhood. And, and the woman said to Elisha, Elisha, I, this is for you. And Elisha said, well, God's going to bless you and give you a son. Even though your husband is very old, you're going to have a son. And she has a son, and, and when he's about eight years old, he has what seems to be heat stroke, and he dies. This, this gift from God dies, and, and she puts him in, his, in Elisha's room, tells her husband everything is fine, goes off and finds Elisha. Elisha comes back, lays himself down on top of the boy, prays, gets up, wanders around the room, prays some more, lies himself down face to face, hand to hand, feet to feet on top of the boy, and, and the boy comes back to life. Wow. Wonderful stories. But do you know what, what strikes me is just how I mean, it's God's power at work, but, but there's almost a long-windedness about it. There's a, a, a petitioning God, and, a, and a, I don't know, it's just, it just seems long-winded. And we come to the New Testament and Jesus, and, and, and first off, we've got, um, let me see if I remember this properly, we've got the, uh, no, that's second, 
Ooh. I forget who the first person was. Three people that Jesus raises. Um, Jairus' daughter. That's right. Jairus' daughter. Jesus goes in, says to a little girl, get up, and she gets up. <laughs> Next, we've got the, a, a widow from Nain, and her son is, is being carried to his funeral. And Jesus has compassion on the woman, and he says, young man, get up. And the guy gets up, and he's alive. Sits up, starts talking. Uh, then we've got uh, Lazarus. Dead three days in the tomb, stinky, smelly. Jesus says, Lazarus, get up. Come out. And he comes out. In fact, in that particular incident, Jesus prays first and he says to God, God, I'm not praying uh, so that this will happen. I'm praying for the people who hear me so that they know it's you. But Lazarus come out and he's out. The other two in Acts is, is, is Peter, who, uh, little girl Dorcas, Little girl Dorcas? No, woman Dorcas. Woman Dorcas. And again, same thing. He, he prays and he says, get up, and she gets up. Paul down here, he just wanders downstairs, gives him a hug, he says, right, he's alive, goes back to work. Isn't that amazing? What we've got here is, is just, it seems like when Jesus comes into the world, it's, it's like death is a joke. Death is, is not something that even bothers the Holy Spirit. It doesn't even bother those who belong to the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing incident. I, I can only think that, that, that that's why Paul carries on as if nothing has happened, because in, in, in reality nothing has happened. This young man, Eutychus, is a child of Christ, is a son of God, and death has no sway over him. Hold on, Nick. You might be saying, look, I agree with you there. Death has no sway over those who are children of God, but, but why save Eutychus and not save my friend, my brother, my sister, my parent? Come to think of it, why not save Paul? Remember, Paul is, is here, he's on his way to Rome. We'll see next week that he knows that he's going to Rome to die. If death is a joke and has no power over those who belong to Jesus Christ, how come some people die and Eutychus is raised to life? You see, I, I, I don't think the story is just a throwaway story in the Gospel of Acts. No, I, I think it's a story, a true story, to encourage us and to encourage the Trojans, the people of Troas. To say to them in, in a very practical way, you know, death is nothing to be worried about. Doesn't mean we're not going to die physical deaths. But you know, if God can do that, 
And you know, there's this action. We see it actually in uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament of the people reaching over and laying themselves and stretching themselves out, out over the dead child. Doesn't that remind you of, of Christ stretching himself out for us? What an encouragement for the people of Troas and for the people of Macedonia to know that death is as nothing. And to know that what matters not is what matters is not death, but, but what matters is growing in our knowledge of Christ and focusing on the person of Christ. I, th- I don't think it's any accident, really, that Paul interrupts his sermon straight after Eutychus's death, and they go upstairs and they share communion together. They've just seen a boy revived to life, and Paul says, right, let's celebrate the fact that we have life. Let's celebrate the fact that Christ was dead and has risen, and we will meet with him one day. See, I think that's what this whole section, chapter 20, verses 1 to 12, is about. It's about encouragement. Which is about growing in our knowledge of Jesus. Which is about hearing the word of God spoken. The apostolic word of God. The the word of God through the apostles. The word of God through the prophets. You notice in verse 2, Paul travels through the region encouraging them with much words. With much word. Really. By what he says. By what happens. Looking back then. God hasn't changed. Be encouraged. Brothers and sisters. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. 